This is Clinical Conversations. I'm your host, Joe Elia. The current pandemic is leaving its mark all over the place, and one obvious area is in medical research. Clinicians are often hearing about new findings on their car radios on the way home or on social media. The credibility of that information is key. Our guest this time is Dr. Paul Sachs. He's a contributing editor on NEJM Journal Watch Infectious Diseases, clinical director of the HIV program and division of infectious diseases at Brigham and Women's Hospital, and also a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Globally, he's probably best known for his lively blog, HIV and ID Observations, which he posts almost every week on the NEJM Journal Watch site. Welcome, Paul. Thanks, Joe, for inviting me. I've been reading your most recent blogs, which I'll remind listeners are all available at blogs.jwatch.org. One of the most recent is titled, Reaching Out to Infectious Disease Doctors in COVID-19 Hotspots. You must be truly exhausted. I get the sense that you're talking more to working clinicians than policymakers or professors like yourself. Whom do you imagine is reading your observations? Well, I actually meant it for the entire infectious disease community. Um, kind of, if you think back a million years ago, uh, March 2020, uh, there were, uh, we started to hear about this terrible thing that was coming our way. We all knew it was coming. We didn't know exactly when it was going to happen. And then it happened at different times in different parts of the country. So while we were preparing here in Boston and New York City was getting slammed, uh, other parts of the United States were preparing too, but they didn't get hit the way we did in the Northeast. So, you know, I have colleagues in Alabama and Atlanta and Florida and Texas and Arizona, and, you know, things were pretty quiet there. They did have occasional cases. And, and what happened was that unlike here, where we really got hit hard and we uh, fortunately, uh, at least for now, knock wood, things are very quiet. Um, for them, they had a period of relative quiet and then a large number of cases. So they've had to sustain this, this intense involvement with COVID-19 response right from the beginning. Very tough. Yeah. Uh, you've been at this for just over 12 years uh, with the stated purpose, and I'll quote, uh, commenting on interesting HIV, infectious diseases, and other medical and not so medical news. Is that still your, your purpose, and uh, what has the reaction been over the 12-year span? Well, it's been really gratifying, and gratifying in a way that I never could have imagined. You know, I've always kind of imagined myself someday becoming a writer. Uh, I'm a, uh, let's see, a frustrated comedy writer, never quite make, made it to, to, to Hollywood. But I went to medical school, and I went into this fascinating field, and I thought, you know, why not write about infectious diseases? And I'll tell you, my, my inspiration for the, the format really were some of the great blogging in the uh, early 2000s, mid 2000s, where writing just exploded on the internet. And I thought, wow, all this great writing available for free. Let me try my hand at it. And, and I got to thank Matt O'Rourke at uh, NEGM Journal Watch for giving me the opportunity to do it. Uh, well, in the not so medical department, you've been known to sprinkle in cartoons and lately dog videos. Uh, Olive and Mabel, two <laughs> Labradors, uh, I'll just say it's British genius comedy, but what's that got to do with infectious diseases, Paul? Well, you know, there's, there's this uh, strategy that every infectious disease doctor does when you're talking to patients is you ask them about their exposures. And one of the ways we ask about exposures is you ask about pets. And of course, uh, you know, I wouldn't probably be so fixated on the dog videos if I didn't have 
a dog myself, which I truly love. But there is this sort of funny aspect of infectious diseases where you ask someone about their pet and then they, uh, they look at you like, are you out of your mind? I remember one uh, unfortunate uh, person who had a motorcycle accident and, and we got to the point where we were asking about pets and he then acknowledged that yes, he did have a new parakeet. And then our infectious disease fellow I was working with said, and what's your parakeet's name? And he told us, Fruit Loop. And I thought that's a very funny name. Uh, of course, it had nothing to do with his motorcycle accident or why we were seeing him. But, but there are times when it is highly relevant. And, you know, there have been many times when we've seen people, and for example, they've acquired an infection from their pet. And, and uh, sadly, sometimes it is their beloved dog. <laughs> now, you've confessed uh, already in this interview to uh, wanting to be a comedy writer, perhaps, uh, and maybe even a stand-up comic when you were younger. Uh, what deflected you from that noble cause? And was there a book or an experience, an infection or something that, that, so, that deflected you? Yeah, well, probably the thing that deflected me the most, uh, and, I, and I'm going to say this because I've acknowledged this on the site, is my father. Uh, my father, uh, who's a physician himself, comes from a long line of physicians. And his attitude essentially was, if you're okay in science, uh, then you become a doctor. And he could not understand why his son, who was okay in science, that's me, uh, would consider do something like comedy writing. And he basically said, just go to medical school. And then and, and after that, if you still want to be a comedy writer, see if you can, if you can make it work. Uh, so I thanks, Dad. I mean, I really love my field. I mean, my, I find infectious diseases fascinating from A to Z and beyond. And it's always challenging, never more so than today. And, and, you know, I get to do some things that are sort of vaguely related to comedy writing. I do want to also say that in college, I had some truly outstandingly talented friends who became professional comedy writers. And frankly, I don't have their chops. You can drop some names if you'd like. Yeah, you know, well, uh, I, he was very kind to let me interview him about his own experience with a life-threatening disease. But one of my friends in college was Andy Borowitz. Uh, Andy Borowitz, of course, is a, is a prolific writer, uh, writer now for The New Yorker, mostly a, a yeah. political satire, but the, he's just an extraordinarily talented person. And then another uh, brush with greatness is that Conan O'Brien. Uh, Conan O'Brien was a, a, a college friend of mine, and his father actually is an infectious disease specialist. So it all, it all comes around eventually. <laughs> now, you serve as a kind of medical cultural reporter on rather mysterious viral infections, HIV and uh, COVID-19. Uh, information on these diseases, and especially now COVID-19, comes at us unremittingly. Uh, is it a hopeless task to try to, to keep up, or is it essential to try to keep up? And how do you as a reporter keep up for other clinicians? Well, I would say it's essential to keep up. And the way that we keep up is different from the way it used to be. You know, it used to be you would get your your, your journal mailed to you every, every week or every month, depending on the frequency. And you would pour over the table of contents and read the abstracts and the interesting papers. You'd read the methods, et cetera, and then the results. Now, uh, rapid fire medical information comes at you really quickly. I, I want to you know, say that there are some good things about Twitter. Uh, Twitter actually is a great place to see medical information very quickly, but it's not adjudicated. So, so the next step after seeing that information is to try to look at it critically. And I think a really good example of that is the dexamethasone treatment for COVID-19 
The first I heard of that was, of course, on Twitter. Uh, this uh, group in Britain was publishing, was promoting their results, uh, in a, in, and it was very exciting that they had a press release showing a randomized clinical trial that improved survival with dexamethasone. And, and I, I kind of made the point after seeing their uh, summary that it was, should become standard of care for people with uh, COVID-19 who met the criteria that they used in their trial. Uh, and as a result, uh, practice changing. Their, their study was practice changing, and now it has been given the blessing of the uh, New England Journal of Medicine. And I think we can say without much, uh, without much risk of bias that that is very, very high praise indeed to be accepted as a paper in that journal. Yes, I, I think you're right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and, and finally, uh, as a reporter yourself, is there a question you wish I'd asked that I didn't? Well, you know, one thing I, I do on my blog is I try to write in my own voice. Uh-huh. Uh, and that is something that I feel like medical journals could use a bit more of. Uh, and if I were to give some feedback to some of the medical journals, it would be this. It would be that there is a role for the, the, the human being's voice in, in the august pages of these journals. Uh, it doesn't all have to be edited to fit the house style. So that's just one, one pitch for that. Okay, that's, that's good advice. I'll, I'll pass it on. Please do. To, to my good friend, uh, Dr. Eric Rubin. Uh, thank you, Dr. Sachs, for uh, talking with us today. Thanks very much, Joe. That was our 272nd episode, all of which are available free at podcasts.jwatch.org. Our executive producer is Kristen Kelly, and we come to you from the NEJM Group. I'm Joe Elia. Thank you for listening.